Coming up, NBA free agency was about to heat up, but then Kevin Durant threw a wrench in all of that. It slowed down a little bit. We still have a big trade in the NBA. Rudy Gobert is on a new team now. And I had a big weekend professionally on the air. All that and more coming up next. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back. Episode 74 of the Rami La V podcast. Again, doing this live from the studio. It's actually been really fun to do it from here. Um, obviously, today, I am not in the traffic studio anymore because I am done with traffic reports for now. Uh, I'm sure I'll be back, but last week was really fun. I had a great time on the station. So big shout out to uh, Tom Cook and everyone here at the station who allowed me to do that. Uh, the regular traffic reporter is back. Um, I did not record on Sunday night, which I usually do. So my schedule is I'm in the studio Sunday night. I'm in the studio Tuesday night and Thursday night. So three nights a week that I do the overnights. And so I kind of figured that's my time to record. And it's a good schedule to have three podcasts a week. Actually, uh, the program director in New York, Spike Eskin, he said that that's what I should be doing uh, three episodes a week. So while I haven't been consistently doing that because it's tough with everything else that I am doing, um, that is the goal. That's what I'm trying to do. So if you get a Monday morning episode, you get a Friday morning episode, and you get a Wednesday morning episode. And I feel like it breaks up the week well, and it kind of gives me stuff to talk about throughout the week, and I'm not you know, doing too much on the weekends and stuff. And if I could do them live from the studio here while I'm sitting here working, then that's even better because that gives me just an opportunity to work and work on the podcast, make sure the station's running, obviously do my job first and foremost, but also allow myself to uh, do what I'm able to do on the podcast and soon that will be you know part of my job obviously we have sponsors coming in that i did talk about and we're working on now we're going to work on some great guests to have uh but i did want to talk about my professional week at odyssey last week uh because i heard a line and i I talk about this every episode i feel like every episode i'm always talking about how you know how grateful i am and all the different things that i end up talking about and how much i appreciate the people who listen and all that stuff and all that stuff's great like for sure, I, I think I should be talking about that. I should keep talking about that. And I shouldn't stop. And people still come over to me and ask me what my story is. And maybe I'll do, I'll dedicate, I'll do a video episode where I, and obviously it'll be on the on the stream, obviously on the same uh, feed. But it'll also have a video segment, uh, which I'm going to start to do for more episodes as it is. But just talking about my path and how I ended up here, because if I feel like people haven't heard the story, um, there's more people who haven't heard it now as my audience grows. Um, and there's also just the fact that the story the story continues, and it continued again this past weekend. And so the reason I talk about it is because of what I heard from Deion Sanders, actually. And he was quoted saying that, always make a monument out of a moment. So when you have a moment, just a small moment, that's something, whether it's big or small, you make a monument out of it. And one of the things I talked about is not getting too high from the highs, too low from the lows. But at the same time, when you have something and it's real and it's something that exists and it's something that like this, that it's a step in your career um, and it feels however big or small, sometimes you could get lost in the day to day. You can lost in the mundane of, well, yeah, I was asked to do this. So it's kind of just what I did. And I don't want that to happen. I don't want to get lost in the day-to-day. I want to celebrate when certain things happen. This past weekend, one of those things happened. And I was uh, producing. I I took the opportunity on the 4th of July while everyone's out celebrating. Don't worry. I had a nice boat ride. Actually, shout out to my softball team. If anyone's listening from my softball team, we advanced to the championship Sunday morning. Then we went out on a nice boat Sunday afternoon, uh, my wife and I. And we hung out on the boat, which was fun. Great uh, (laughs) afternoon on Sunday afternoon. And then Monday, while everyone's out frolicking on the 4th of July, the long weekend, I was in the studio at 10 a.m. and I was here till 6 p.m. I did an eight-hour shift that covered two shows, board hopping and producing, um, and really for a couple of segments there, co-hosting. And I had so much fun. So thank you, Bruce Cunningham, by the way, because he was the first show. I'll always remember him as the first show that I solo produced alone in the studio. So that's going to be special. And He let me in on a bunch of segments. We really had a great time. We ended up talking together uh, for a while. One of the things we talked about, actually, and it's so funny because 
I never really leaned into these things when I talk about the podcast, when I talk about my career path, when I, whenever I do a, uh, a cover letter, whenever I give my story on a job interview, I don't often lean into the, hey, my Israel background or uh, stuff like that. But somehow we got to talking in the break and Dean Kramer was starting for the Orioles, who obviously is an Israeli kid. And we were talking in the break and we were just like, hey. Uh, you know, this kid, Dean Kramer, he's awesome. And I got to go on the air and talk about growing up in Israel a little bit and talk about uh, what Dean Kramer and the Orioles possibly mean to the Israeli audience who's trying to be recognized as a real farm system, as a real place, that's a real breeding grounds for professional athletes today. And that was huge. That was something that I got to talk about on the air in a public crowd and people got to hear it. And I got to share something that's unique about me and where I come from. And I think like I need to lean into that a little bit more. But that was huge. I got to talk to him. I was screening calls in the second show. Um, got in, made a little, one quick mistake to start the show, but got into a little bit of a groove. Um, and it was just so much fun doing that, being on the air, being live in studio. It's an adrenaline rush when you're running a show, when you, you know exactly what's going on and you're cr- controlling everything. Obviously, when you hear it, when you hear a live radio station, it's supposed to sound unplanned. But the planning and the work that goes into it behind the scenes that makes it sound unplanned is what's so cool about the show. And I got to be the one doing that and making that magic happen. So I really appreciate uh, Chuck Sapienza, who's the program director here, for giving me the opportunity. And of course, like I said, Bruce Cunningham and Mike Popovic, who are the two hosts that I did uh, produce. It was awesome. Yeah, it was a Monday. I got to produce Drive Time Monday uh, radio on a Monday Drive Time sports talk. But obviously, uh, it wasn't exactly Drive Time because it was a holiday weekend. But I'm sure a lot of people were listening. Uh, Once the Oriole game was over and people were coming home from the game after a walk-off hit by pitch for the Orioles, we had tons of callers coming in. So I was taking the call, screening them, doing everything and all that stuff that uh, if you would have told me that I was screening calls, talking about Dean Kramer on the air and talking about Israeli baseball on the air um, and working in the same company that I grew up listening to, I would have told you, so it's crazy. Now, of course, by natural progression, that was kind of the next step in my job, right? So the fact that I text back and forth with guys like Billy Ripken and Jim Hunter and stuff like that just seems mundane in the day-to-day, but you have to make these moments monuments. Like I said, like Deion Sanders said, you have to realize that this is stuff that you have to look back and how would you look at this two years ago? And I do realize that when I talk to people and they're like, oh my God, what you do is so cool. And to me, it's become normal. And you really can't let it become normal. People uh, make fun of me sometimes that I talk about my job a lot. But yeah, it's because I want people to realize how much I actually really do appreciate uh, what's happening here. And it's not regular and I couldn't do it without this podcast and without the people listening. So I'm obligated to talk about it and to thank everyone every time. Now, the first thing I talked about on the air, the first segment that I talked about, I did not expect this to be my very first debut on Baltimore radio on WFAN or Jay-Z FAN here in Baltimore. Um was about hot dogs because yesterday was the hot dog eating contest and I had it on on the TV and with the sound up so I was able to give updates I was the official correspondent and we talked about the difference between Israeli and American hot dogs which if you've been to Israel you've had Israeli hot dogs you know how funny that is Um, and I was talking about Joey Chestnut who crushed a bunch of hot dogs 63 hot dogs in 10 minutes and then also crushed a protester in the middle of that so probably slowed him down a little bit because I think his record 74 something like that in 10 minutes which is just unbelievable Um, but I I didn't think that was going to be my first uh, entry into the on-air conversation was going to be hot dogs. But then again, knowing me and my foodie passion and my chef page that I have on Instagram and all that, it kind of makes sense. It kind of uh, was appropriate. So all that said, it was just awesome. And like I said, I don't want to gloss over it. I don't want it to get lost in the shuffle. I don't want to get used to these things when they happen. Like I said, uh, tomorrow or today, I guess, when this podcast comes out, I'm going to be uh, producing another show uh, solo live on air. It's going to be Baltimore Baseball Tonight, which I've co-produced, I guess, um, for the last uh, few weeks. But now I'm going to be the full-time producer. And I have uh, Billy Ripken, who's going to be on, and Cordell Woodland, who's going to be hosting that show. So it's going to be really fun. <laughs> and I get to do that. They they record live from uh, across the street from Camden Yards, if you're in the area. It's Pickles Pub. So it's a fun, it's a fun gig. And like I said, I don't want to let any of that get lost. So it's not lost on me being live on air doing the traffic reports. Even though you're sitting alone in a studio, sometimes it feels like, all right, cool. Like I'm just talking to nobody. But no, there's there's people out there listening, hearing your voice. And I get those texts. Like I said, I really do appreciate when people reach out. And then Sunday so, or Monday, rather, 
just sitting there in the studio and getting to work uh, with those guys, Bruce and Mike, was awesome. Um, and getting to be on air and share a little bit of my background and my story was tons of fun. So thank you to everyone for the opportunity. And it's not lost on me. To sports and this podcast, because that's what this podcast is about. And Mitchell Robinson signed a contract with the Knicks. I talked about this on last episode. I didn't know if they were going to sign Mitchell Robinson. Now, everyone loves the Harkinson signing, so I might be way off on that when I thought, you know, I really want to see Jericho Sims develop. And one of my favorite things to watch, I'm watching it right now, actually. I'm watching the Jazz and the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, playing summer league basketball out on the West Coast in Utah. I love summer league basketball. I really do. Um, It's one of the things I enjoy watching. I enjoy watching young kids who want to play hard, who are all talented. And it's summertime. There's, you know, baseball is kind of middle of the season. Right now, there's not a lot going on. We'll get to the Yankees a little bit later because they are losers of two consecutive games, not something that we were able to say often this season. And so Jericho Sims is going to be going to Summer League in Vegas and playing for the Knicks. So that's going to be fun to watch also. But I guess they decided he's just not quite ready yet. I don't know if that's a Tibbs decision. We know how he feels about young players coming in. Um, But they decided they want to get a real uh, backup center. So they're paying this guy less than they were paying Noel. And he is apparently a better player than Noel is. I can't say I've watched him a ton, but that's the consensus. So I'm not upset about that. But Mitchell Robinson does sign the extension. It's four years, $60 million for Mitchell Robinson to re-sign with the Knicks. And the reason I mentioned this is not only because I mentioned it on last episode, but because this is historic. The Knicks had not given a draft pick. A Knicks draft pick had not gotten a second contract with the team, meaning after the first rookie deal expired or an extension on the first rookie deal, like we saw with a bunch of guys, John Morant, Zion Williamson, a bunch of guys this offseason already noted. RJ did not get one yet. He's in the same draft class as those two guys. It's the first time since 1994 that a Knicks draft pick has gotten a second contract with the team. Let that sink in for a second. We talked about building a team through the draft. We talked about the Knicks' failure to draft and why maybe it wasn't such a big deal that they traded away an 11th overall pick. And maybe that's why. Because they hadn't given a rookie a second contract that they drafted since 1994. So that tells you that they've not been very good at drafting at all. And the few times that they've done well in the draft, a Chris Stapps Porzingis, for example, who looked like he had so much promise with the team, was gone and traded away before the second contract kicked in. So it's the Charlie Ward curse. He's the last one who signed. And it's finally, finally broken on Mitchell Robinson, a guy who was a second-round pick and a great draft pick at that. He's been excellent for the team when he's been on the court. And I hope he stays in shape. I hope he stays motivated. And the price they got him at, four years, $60 million, not a terrible deal. If he could be the guy that they think he's capable of being, That's a great deal. He could be their center and a big part of this roster for the next four years. Now, I did want to talk about the Jalen Brunson deal because the Jalen Brunson deal, obviously the details come in and I said I wasn't going to break it down before they signed him, but now they officially signed him. So let's talk about it a little bit more. Um, First of all, the amount you paid him. Unrestricted free agents, and this is something Bill Simmons talked about and reminded me of, there's a fee when you're trying to pry a free agent away from the team that they're currently employed by. He was obviously employed by the Mavericks. And so you have to pay him on the open market when he's an unrestricted free agent. We saw other teams were interested, maybe Miami. You have to pay a little extra for that. So the $25 million range kind of makes sense. And then you can think about the position and the position he plays is point guard. A tough position to play in the NBA. Here are point guards in the NBA currently whose contracts are larger than Jalen Brunson. Stephen Curry, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, Russell Westbrook, Shea Gilders-Alexander, Ben Simmons, Damian Lillard, De'Aaron Fox, Jamal Murray, Kyrie Irving, Chris Paul, D'Angelo Russell. That's 12 point guards who are making more money next season or their contracts are larger in total than Jalen Brunson. Guys who are right around the same amount, the same dollar amount as Jalen Brunson include Kyle Lowry, Terry Rozier, Malcolm Brogdon, and Mike Conley. So we're talking about a really expensive position that it's tough to pay. It's tough to get talent. It's tough to keep talent at that position. So you had to pay a premium for two reasons. One, the position. One, it's the open market and he's an unrestricted free agent. So when you look at it from that perspective, is $25 million a year really that crazy for a guy like Jalen Brunson for a team that hasn't had a point guard? 
of his caliber in years, and now you're trying to set up your franchise for the future. Like I said, this isn't the guy who's going to change the team dramatically. This isn't the guy who's putting them over the top. But can he be the second-to-best player on a potential championship team? We just saw him be the second-to-best player on a team that went to the conference finals. And he carried that team for a lot of the time while the best player, the far and away best player, was out. So we know he's capable of performing in the playoffs. We know he's capable of being the guy on a team that's really good, or at least the second or at at the very least third guy on a team. So if RJ blossoms, they get another guy in here, and maybe he is what attracts the next guy. But he's the stabilizer. That's what the team needed. The Knicks needed someone to stabilize what they did. They made some horrible, horrible mistakes last year. They overreacted to winning, getting the four seed. We should have known it was a farce when they got bounced the way they did by Atlanta. But they got excited. We know we have an owner that medals in James Dolan. He probably got excited. He said, here's my money. Go. One thing you can't say about James Dolan is that he's cheap. He always wants the team to spend his money. Go. Go sign Kemba Walker. Bring him to New York. The guy who Knicks fans wanted for years. Go sign Evan Fournier, bring him to New York. Now, if you were to talk to Boston fans, Celtics fans about either one of those guys, they would have told you stay far away. And evidence of that is that the Celtics wouldn't even take back Fournier into their trade exception. They got Danilo Gallinari instead this offseason, but they wouldn't take Evan Fournier back. And maybe Evan Fournier will end up in Dallas. I saw something about that. Obviously, we'll get into that in a minute. But the fact that they overreacted and they just dished those contracts out. I like Alec Burks, but obviously not on that deal. It didn't really make sense. I like Nerlens Noel, but he couldn't stay healthy and he can't catch the ball. He really doesn't contribute at all on offense. So all those things combined, spending that money, the Knicks had to fix it. It's unfortunate that you had to fix mistakes that you did. But now is a reset and a stabilizer. So what were the moves they made? They stockpile draft picks for down the road they got rid of the contracts and they signed a guy who's capable of being the point guard and being the stability for the team for at least the next four years that's what the Knicks did and that's a great contract when you look at it from that perspective what the offense might look like RJ Barrett was the primary ball handler in the second half of the season we saw possessions where it was Emmanuel quickly or Evan Fournier running the offense and obviously we know Julius Randle in the post with his back to the basket or even worse with his back to the basket 30 feet from the hoop (laughs) we don't see how we don't have to see that anymore as Knicks fans and so this is huge this is a huge contract it's a bigger contract than a lot of people think and it's a big deal but that doesn't mean they're winning now so people who are making fun of Knicks fans hey you got Jalen Brunson that's what you're so excited about like I said he's not LeBron James this is not Carmelo Anthony He's a guy who is going to help you maybe bring the next guy, but maybe not. I don't see a backcourt of him and Donovan Mitchell necessarily working together. I don't think that's going to stop the Knicks. It hasn't stopped the Knicks in the past of going after that guy. But I think making that move definitely brings you closer to either signing the next guy. Who knows what it is? Maybe it is, it is Bradley Beal. I don't know. Who knows what the next guy looks like? Who knows who the next disgruntled free agent is going to be? But I think this makes you a destination. And not only do I realize this, I think the Mavs realize this. We know Mark Cuban is not one to give up on things easily. And I think he's a little salty about this. We always know how there is this tampering that goes on in the NBA. I talked about it last episode, how all of a sudden everyone knows what happened after 6 p.m. last week and after midnight tonight it becomes official, but everyone's already signed. So everyone's tampering. Everyone's working beforehand. We know that. If the news comes out all at once, like somebody was saying, I don't know how these tweets come out fast enough, like Shams and Woj, those guys must have, like, they must have the tweets pre-written because they know the information already, obviously. They have the tweets pre-written, and it's just on automatic, because they're tweeting every seven seconds about if you look at how close together their tweets are. So they have the tweets pre-written probably maybe from hours or days before and set up to go off at midnight or whatever time it is. And so obviously, this is predetermined. So don't say they're not tampering. Everyone in the league is tampering. But Mark Cuban was upset. He was upset that he never got the meeting with Jalen Brunson. And so he wants the Knicks to to get punished for it and pay for it. And it feels good to be the Knicks and be the team that got one over on another team. Yeah, it sucks. We're going to probably lose a second round draft pick. Maybe we have to give them Evan Fortier. Maybe that's what ends up happening, which for the Knicks, they'd love that. But if Cuban's upset about it, if the Mavs are upset about it, that means they care. And if he wasn't an impactful player on a team that has real championship aspirations like the Mavs, then they wouldn't have cared. That feels good. Speaking of real aspirations of a championship for that team, Luka Doncic has gotten himself into crazy shape, and that's what people are talking about. I talked about this at the end of the offseason or at the end of the postseason run that they had. 
if he really cares, he's going to go overseas, he's going to play, he's going to show that he cares, and he's going to get in shape, and he's going to make a difference this season, and he's already doing that. I don't like overreacting to pictures and videos that we see online. We do that all the time with Luca. We do it all the time with Zion. We do it with athletes everywhere. But this just shows me that he really, really cares. He's working on his game. He took no days off. He talked about it not being a long off season for him. He talked about working with Jason Kidd. And I really hope that that's what he's doing and that he comes back stronger and better than ever. And they really are a championship contender. And by the way, they don't need a guy like Jalen Brunson to eat up minutes for them as the primary ball handler and to help them out when Luca's hurt, if Luca's healthy and in shape. Meanwhile, watching the Orioles, they're about to walk off again. They walked off yesterday. People don't like the man on second base rule, and this is a little off topic. Sorry, I'm, I told you I'm going to get to baseball later, but people don't like the man on second base rule to start the extra innings, and uh, somebody was talking about Mike Popovic, who I was producing yesterday, talked about it on the air, that he doesn't like it. He's like, oh, it's a major league game. It's in a video game. I think it makes it so much more exciting, especially when you see a team like the Orioles who are committed to bunting the runner over in a tie game because now there's a runner on third, although he just popped up the bunt and popped out, but now there's a runner on third with two outs or one out, sorry, and you have two outs to work with to get the runner home. So it's the right move and I I love it. I actually do like the runner on second base. I think extra innings end sooner. And it also, even if it doesn't end, it's just more entertaining. Top of the 10th inning, the Rangers ended up having bases loaded with one out and they couldn't score them. But that's exciting. It it creates exciting baseball. We want exciting baseball. I kind of like it. I kind of came around on it, honestly. I may have mentioned that on the podcast earlier, but um, I, I I really do like it. Anyway, I was talking about Luka Doncic getting in shape. In other news, in the NBA... Another big story that came down was the Rudy Gobert trade. And we knew the Jazz were going to make a move. And we'll get to that in a minute. But they trade Rudy Gobert. And this is the price for Rudy Gobert. And I talked about this the second I was like, man, I just need to have a microphone on me full time. Because these trades are coming down. These moves are coming in the whole day Friday. And I'd release the podcast Friday morning. And I was like, well, I guess I'll just talk about this on next episode. But Rudy Gobert goes to Minnesota. The fact that the Jazz traded him. Okay, that was expected. The price? Insane. Four first-round draft picks. Current pieces on the roster that are helping them win. Guys like Pat Beverly, who are defenders and whatever whatever you want to think about him. He's effective as a defender, as a D, and maybe hits a couple three guys if he's not in his own head too much and he's not taking technicals. And he went to Minnesota. Need I remind you, Minnesota just signed Carl Anthony Towns to a huge extension, and now they have Rudy Gobert and his huge money on the books. I was finally talking about how Anthony Edwards, one of the most promising young players in the NBA, is 21 years old, and he could finally grow and develop into what might be a superstar in this league. I think he's a budding superstar. And now they have two centers in a league that's gone further and further away from having centers on the floor at all. Rudy Gobert, who consistently gets played off the floor in playoff series, despite having good regular seasons, statistically, and both winning-wise, the teams have won, the Jazz teams he's been on have won in the regular season. But that's the guy that you're going to bring in to make this team? And what's the goal here? Do you, are, You're trying to win now? If you're trying to win now, why are you getting rid of players who are helping you in the here and now, in the present, like they did in that trade? So you have two guys who, by the end of this contract, they're going to be in their 30s, just as Anthony Edwards is coming into his prime in the league. And instead of maximizing Anthony Edwards in his prime, you're going to be giving away all those draft picks and have no assets left because you traded for Rudy Gobert. And what's going to happen in the playoffs when the Warriors throw four small guys out at you and the only big man on the floor is Draymond Green? How's that going to work for you? Teams are going to be spacing them out all over the league. And they're going to lose a lot of games in the playoffs. Yeah, in the regular season, they'll probably dominate. And we'll hear about the Twin Towers. And we'll hear about people going nuts. That, oh my God, look, these two guys, you doubted us, blah, blah, blah. And then if they make the playoffs or when they make the playoffs, because there's enough talent. And like I said, Rudy Gobert is a very good regular season player. All of a sudden, they're going to be talking about, no, don't worry. Carl Anthony Towns can play on the outside. He's not a great rebounder anyway. So he's really just our second center. He's our four. As the Orioles just walked it off again. Cedric Mullins with a walk-off single with two outs in the bottom of the 10th. (laughs) They couldn't advance the runner, but they get the walk-off single with two outs in the bottom of the 10th. Good for them. Good for the O's. 
Um, back to basketball and back to Rudy Gobert. What are they trying to do? Like, this is a great trade for the Jazz. The Jazz get pieces for now that they could flip in other trades for more assets because they're valuable pieces. And they get four first-round draft picks. Like, what's the price for Kevin Durant after this is what they got for Rudy Gobert? That's the biggest question out of this whole thing, right? Four first-round draft picks and current players is what Rudy Gobert is worth. What's KD worth? It's unbelievable. And it just makes no sense if you're the Timberwolves. Like I said, teams are going to be running all over them in the playoffs, shooting threes from all over the place. Yes, on offense, like I was talking about, you're going to have Rudy in the middle, maybe, and Carl Anthony Towns on the outside. But really, there's going to be no space to operate for Anthony Edwards. And on defense, that's where you're stuck. You're clogged with two guys in the middle and no one to defend the wings. And by the way, your best defensive player is gone now, too. Oh, and you kept D'Angelo Russell, who's just going to want to chug up a million shots himself. So the offense becomes continued to be more discombobulated all over the place. So it's not just a two big men in the middle that are clogging up the offense and not allowing Anthony Edwards. You couldn't even unload a guy like D'Angelo Russell, who is a good player. But at least then you could say, okay, fine. We have Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards are going to be the guys who are running the offense. And we have we could get screens and some tip-ins and alley-oops and pick-and-rolls and stuff from Rudy Gobert. It kind of makes sense. But you still have so many ball handlers. There's only five guys on the floor. So many mouths to feed. I don't see how this makes sense, especially not in a playoff series when teams are going to be strategizing specifically to attack your weaknesses. Now, what do I think this is? I think it's an A-Rod thing. A-Rod, and I don't want to make this into a Yankee fan thing because I'm a big Yankee fan. Obviously, we know about A-Rod. But A-Rod obviously was a big deal who came in and bought this team and he's on his social media paying people off to become Timberwolves fans. I don't know if you saw that. He had a caddy in a golf thing that he did over the weekend and he paid his caddy to become a Timberwolves fan. His caddy was a big Mets fan or Yankee fan, apparently. I think it was a Yankee fan. No, he was a Knicks fan. Sorry, basketball. He was a Yankee fan also, but he was a Knicks fan. Um, and he paid him to become a Timberwolves fan. He gave him like 500 bucks in a, in a Twitter video that A-Rod posted. I think A-Rod wants people to know he was at every one of those playoff games or whatever it was, playing games that they won. And he wants people to know we're here. We have arrived as the Minnesota Timberwolves organization. And they wanted to make a big splash. And A-Rod loves the attention, negative or positive. And in the regular season, people are going to be talking about, wow, this is actually working. Rudy Gobert is a big name. And he doesn't care what they gave up for it. Because right now, he wants to make a big splash. And guess what? When this goes terribly in three years from now, he's just going to blame the GM and the manager and the head coach and all those guys and fire them. So it doesn't really matter. As far as the Jazz and what they're doing, I don't know if they're rebuilding fully because it looked like they were definitely rebuilding, right? They trade away Royce O'Neal. They make this trade. And then the Kevin Durant news comes out and it's like, uh uh-oh, okay, wait, maybe we can actually get KD on this roster and keep Donovan Mitchell. Maybe we could even get Kyrie packaged with him flip all those picks we just got, maybe flip a couple other stuff that we got, and turn this into Nets West. Didn't work in Brooklyn? Hey, we can make it work here. Now, I don't think that's what it is. Uh, Sounds like they're blowing it up. And if you watch the Brian Windhorst video, which I love that video, and I posted a few times, and I posted a couple of memes from it, that video was awesome. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Brian Windhorst obviously knew that the Gobert trade was coming. And he obviously knew that he's not allowed to talk about it yet on air. But it had already been done. And that's how things work in the NBA is the information is out there. So he tried to hint to everyone watching that he knew exactly what was going on. And he had the perfect opportunity to do it on get up or first take, whatever it was, with the regulars out, the people who are a little bit more informed, whether it's Mike Greenberg or Stephen A. Smith, who know a little bit more about the league and have some eyes and ears in the league. He knew that he could get on air and run circles around these guys and say, why would the Jazz do that? And then 24 hours later or however long later it was that the news came out about the trade, everyone's like, hey, Brian Windhorst is a genius who knows all this stuff way before anyone else. And the difference between him and the pigs on social media who are running to tweet it out the second they find out is that he's able to keep his mouth closed and protect his sources. And he got a moment That's more than just a funny meme and a funny video that he created it, that he created, which was fun. But he also got a moment that was something real, that was something that 
shows his value in the sports media world. And I think that's important for his career. Not that he needed the boost, but I think that's awesome that he was able to do that. And it just goes to show you that those guys, Shams and Woj, and I respect what they do. They run and tell people immediately when they find things out. They, they tweet it out to the whole world, and that's their job. But like this is stuff that we'd find out anyway. It's, it's so weird. I talked about this with the draft, how the NBA media works, that they need to tweet it out immediately. And I, information is king, right? Information is currency. So when you have information, you have to be careful with how you use it. I love how Brian Windhorst used it. But he was hinting that they're blowing this up. And he knew about this trade, obviously. And so I heard from someone else also that when you have information, it's not necessarily what you say. You won't necessarily say that you know that this is happening, but instead you'll say something like what Brian Windhorst did, that you'll hint it kind of, you'll hint that you know what's going on behind the scenes. And then people a couple days later, maybe it'll be a couple months later, will kind of be like, oh, that guy was right. (laughs) I think that's a big deal. That shows your value as a journalist that shows your integrity as a broadcaster or whatever you're trying to do. And I think that was really cool. But Ryan Windhorst, I don't know how the NBA can change this. Obviously, like I said, there's tampering and there's things going on and people know way before the deals actually go down. I don't know how the NBA can change that. Um, I hope they do something about it because like I said, I don't think the draft is fun unless you put Shams and Woj in two separate rooms and have them go at each other and see who gets the pick first and gets the pick right. Lean into it. If you're, you already know what's happening, it's obviously everyone knows it's happening. They can't avoid it. So then lean into it. That's what the NBA is great at when they take a bad situation and lean into it like this free agency period. The, the NBA knows it's not great. It's not a great look that everyone's tampering and no one cares about the rules. But at the same time, they just lean into it and they make it into their most talked about period, their most talked about week of the season and they hype it up and they post videos and ESPN's talking about them nonstop a week after the finals or two weeks after the finals. So it's a huge deal for basketball. Actually, it actually really helps the NBA. So you might as well do the same thing for the draft. I think the information it it, right now, it feels like weird and it feels like two guys who are competing against each other, but in a weird way that like no one should really care about. Like we're going to find out anyway who was traded where and all this information so why do they care so much who said it first and they're saying it about 30 seconds apart the two of them are they getting their sources at the exact same moment like how does that work the point is that the point i'm trying to make is that lean into it have a show with these two guys on and watch them do it watch them do their magic and if you don't like it then stop it that's all that's what i have to say about the reporters now zion got his new contract i I mentioned this before Five years, $193 million. Him and John Morant both got their new contracts. And for Zion, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Is this a case of him saying, hey, I'm hurt. I need to take the guaranteed money. Obviously, for him, that's what makes the most sense. For the Pelicans, they saw a little bit of success at the end of the season. They go to the first round. It was actually pretty fun. They did some cool things. And if you add Zion to that team, that team could be really successful. Or maybe not. Maybe it's don't add Zion to that team. Don't mess with what's working. Try and keep building. But honestly, it's like adding a huge free agent, a guy who's capable of being as good as Zion's being. I just hope he could stay healthy at this point, and maybe he is really happy. But like we said, we overreact to things as they happen in the moment, and it could all unravel pretty quickly here. And I hope that doesn't happen for Zion. I hope it doesn't happen for the Pelicans, because we know how that goes for a franchise like the Pelicans, for a guy like Griffin, who's been in that situation in Cleveland with LeBron before, where he pays a superstar and it kind of gets stabbed in the back by him. The Beal contract is the one, and I don't think I talked about this enough. I talked about it a little bit on last episode, How and speaking of information and using it properly, so I went to a Wizards game, and a friend of mine who works in sales at the Wizards game, it was the day of the trade deadline this past season, he came over to me and he said, hey, I have a piece of information for you, don't use my name. I said, okay. He said, the owner's office is on the same floor as the sales office. And so working in sales for the Wizards, Bradley Beal was on our floor all day today in and out of the owner's office. Something's happening with Bradley Beal. That's all I tweeted. I said, something's happening today with Bradley Beal. I let everyone else figure out what they want. I can't, can't, use my, can't say my sources, but something's happening with Bradley Beal today. Now, it's been rumored for years that Bradley Beal has wanted out and would potentially be asking for trades. I went through the timeline today of every four months, it's Bradley Beal either wants in or wants out. He's hinting things. Yes, this team needs to make improvements or saying other things that hint that he wants a trade, but without ever saying or requesting straight out that he wants a trade. So everyone assumed he went into the owner's office and asked for a trade. Now, it was announced later that day 
that he was shutting it down for the season, or maybe it was the next day that he was shutting it down for the season and getting surgery on his wrist or whatever it was, and he'd be done for the year. So that put all questions of a trade to bed at that point. But if you're Bradley Beal, why would you ever want to trade once you realized you were close? And his agent could have been in his ear, whoever was in his ear, could have been saying, hey, you're close to getting the max deal. The way it works in the NBA is if you stay with the team, we pay you to stay with the team you're on. So you can make more money if you sign the contract with the team you're currently playing for. And so if you stay here, you get more money. And now he can ask for a trade tomorrow. He played his cards perfectly. And that's the problem with the NBA right now. You're incentivized to lie and stay just so that you can get your money. I'd be willing to bet that within a year, Bradley Beal asked for a trade. And to me, that's a big problem for the NBA. Now, speaking of problems and contracts in the NBA... So these contracts mean nothing, right? So if you're a team, and here's why it's a big deal, and you want to sign a guy to a big extension, or you want to trade for a guy like we saw James Harden get traded, now you have to be sure that he wants to stay with you, and maybe in the moment he wants to stay with you, and then he leaves a minute later. So what does the league do? How does the league fix this? We know that in the past, they had incentives for guys staying with the same team. That's how it is now, right? where you're incentivized to stay with the same team. So you sign that contract and then you leave a minute later. Maybe you could say you only get that money. You only get the guarantee. The guarantee only kicks in if you do stay that with that team for more than two years. So then I think what guys would do is just sign shorter contracts. They'd be like, okay, cool. You don't want to give us the money right away? Well, we'll just sign shorter deals. We saw that in the past. That was a big epidemic in the NBA where guys just sign shorter deals so they can move around however they want. Guys are going to move around if they want to move around. That's the bottom line. However they need to do it, they're going to do it. Now, is it the guarantee? guaranteed money that's the problem because we see football there's no guaranteed money in football barely any unless you're Cleveland Browns and you're giving guaranteed money to Deshaun Watson which is a whole circus that I'm sure we'll talk about as the summer goes on as we get closer to the football season and I can't wait I've seen already the NFL account posting some highlights I'm so ready for football man but as we get closer to the NFL season we'll talk more about the Cleveland Browns but we don't see a lot of guaranteed money in the NFL and guys stay with their teams guys stay in long contracts and when guys want to sit out to get a new contract, we saw with Jalen Ramsey, we saw with Le'Veon Bell, obviously, with Darrell Reeves a couple times with the Jets. They have to sit out and they have to give up money in order to do that. So if they're willing to give up their paycheck because they want to trade that badly, most guys end up caving and end up coming back and playing because your longevity in the NFL is only 10 years as it is. So is a guy like Kevin Durant willing to give up a year of his career? Probably because he'd get paid anyway. This is not a Kyrie Irving situation where he sat out and didn't get paid because of the rules with COVID that they didn't have to pay him for the home games. So are guys willing to give up money in baseball? We don't see this There's guaranteed money all over baseball. We don't see guys asking for trades every two minutes. So what is it? Is it the fact that the league has gone so far into player entitlement that they've gone too far and they can't get out of it? And what's the fix? How do we do that? What, what's the next step? How does the league fix this? And I really don't know what the answer is. But the league needs to answer that question quickly. And maybe the Nets will be the answer to the question. Because what are Kevin Durant's options right now? What's he going to do? Kevin Durant, I saw this stat, um, and I want to pull it up real quick. Kevin Durant has played 106 games for the Nets. Kevin Garnett played 108 games. So KD, 106. KG, 108. And KG was at the end of his career. Kevin Garnett, as part of that trade with Boston. And Durant has played two less games. But again, my initial reaction was, I don't think this is happening. I don't think he's going to get traded. And I'm not willing to die on that hill. It kind of sounds like maybe he would get traded, but I don't know. As the days go by and nothing's happened yet, if nothing happens by the end of this week and they're at a little bit of a stalemate, a little bit of a standstill, then I don't know. I'd put my money on Kevin Durant still being in Brooklyn. At some point, an NBA team is going to have to say, no, we're going to hold strong. We're going to tell you, no, sorry. And what are Durant's options? We saw his list that he put out. I think Durant is kind of funny. Like, he's such a clown. He put the two teams that were both the number one seed in their conference. He's like, yeah, that team looks good. Miami, number one seed. And Phoenix, number one seed. Oh, and they're both good weather cities, hot in the winter when he's going to be playing basketball. Like, Kevin Durant, you really thought that was going to work? Now, we don't even know what's happening because it's all going on behind closed doors anyway. And he's writing cryptic tweets that, don't, know, don't mean anything on Twitter as it is. But Miami doesn't really work 
for Kevin Durant. And I didn't realize this. I apologize. I actually, Bill Simmons, I listened to his podcast after I recorded mine, but he made the same mistake as me. So I appreciate one of my listeners actually pointed this out to me. And then I heard Ryan Rosillo said the same thing. And Ryan Rosillo made us feel good. He was actually telling Bill, he was like, yeah, you can't expect everyone to know all these intricate little rules. But basically, if you have two guys on the rookie extension, I think that's the rule. You can't have, um, there's a designated rookie rule. Basically, the designated rookie rule allows teams to sign players coming off a rookie contract to a five-year extension rather than typical four. But a team can only designate up to two rookies for such contracts and only one of them can be acquired by trade the nets already acquired ben simmons so they'd have to send back ben simmons if they wanted to trade for bam if they're getting bam for kevin durant they'd have to get rid of ben simmons another way so basically the point is that that trade probably can happen the nets right now they're not going to take a deal on kd because they have all the leverage they could sit here and say rudy grobero was just traded for four draft picks and current pieces on a roster we're not trading you for less we're trading you for much more than that so if you're not giving us a superstar and four picks sorry and Kevin Durant's gonna say well I don't want to go there I want to go to Phoenix and Phoenix says I don't know we don't want to give him up and Aiton's stock has never been lower even though Aiton's a really good player and going to be a really good player but the Nets could say hey we don't want Aiton so where else do you want to go and if Kevin Durant doesn't want to go to a team the team's not going to trade for him because then all of a sudden they're putting themselves at risk of the same thing happening just like it happened with James Harden who went to Brooklyn and then didn't want to be there anymore. So the teams don't want to trade for Kevin Durant. They might be cautious, although I said I don't think it would happen. But with what the Nets are going to be demanding, would you really jump to trade for Kevin Durant if he's going to walk in a year or less? And if you're the Nets, are you going to trade him to where he wants to go and take less? I don't think so, honestly. So Kevin Durant and the Nets are at a bit of a stalemate right now, and I think this could be what changes things. I think Kevin Durant, ultimately, if this drags on to training camp, he's going to show up because he's going to want his money, and he's going to want to play, and he's going to want to prove himself. You're a little bit of an older guy. How many years of your career are you willing to lose? And can the Nets tell, tell him, we've given you every single thing you wanted? We got you the coach. We traded for Harden. Then we traded away. We got Kyrie. We signed him back. He's back here. We traded for Ben Simmons. We have everything you ever asked for. And meanwhile, the Nets are falling behind here. They lost Bruce Brown. They're falling behind in free agency. Things are happening in free agency around them while they're just stuck. So you're only making it worse for yourself, Kevin Durant, by not communicating with the team and not telling them what you actually want. And guess what? Guess who it's going to hurt in the long run? You. And if you end up staying on this team, you could still win a championship with Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, and Kyrie Irving if they fully buy in and they're fully healthy. Could they be a championship caliber team? Of course they can. So just do it, Kevin Durant, and shut up. Or... Who knows? They'll probably give in to him. A team will probably give up way too much for him. And we'll do this all over again within the next two years. Some other NBA notes from around the league. Boston, Golden State, the Bucks, the teams that are actual NBA contenders for championships. Boston got Gallinari and Brogdon. They didn't have to give up too much for Brogdon. And if he's healthy, that's a good trade because if he's healthy, he can be a guy who can create for them. Another guy who can create when that offense sometimes looks stale. So a guy who can set up guys like Brown and Tatum, obviously. And obviously, they got another shooter, Gallinari. So they had inconsistent shooting down the stretch in the final. So those are two those are two guys that, in a pinch, can both make a play for you and then also, obviously, get a bucket for you in Gallinari. So I think that's good pickups for Boston. Golden State re-signed Kavon Looney, who's been a big piece for them. And Dante DiVincenzo, who's a big DN3 guy for the Bucks, So he, he comes over from Milwaukee. That's another big piece. Just classic move by the Warriors, retooling, making sure that the core stays in pace, in place and retooling with the pieces around them. Not a contract that's going to blow you away. Be like, oh my God, they got DiVincenzo. But in the playoffs, when he's hitting a huge three and defending maybe the best wing player on the team, you're going to be like, hey, they got Dante DiVincenzo. Remember when they did that and no one really talked about it? Well, we're talking about it now. So those are the type of moves that I talked about. The Warriors. I really have to put that episode in here soon because I keep teasing it. Those are the type of moves that the Warriors make that make them a better team and then give them sustained long-term success. Now, the Bucks replaced DiVincenzo with Joe Ingles, who's another great player I love. Fits perfectly with that team. Another 3 and D guy. Probably a little better than DiVincenzo. I would say definitely a little better. He can create a little base. A great shooter. Great shooter. And he's a really good, really underrated defender. So I really like that for the Bucks. 
I think they're still favorites. With Middleton's healthy, they're still favorites to come out of the East, even though I do like the moves that Boston made. I did forget a couple of things, so I want to throw them in here now. One case that we would see, because I said the NFL, we don't often see. We see the stalemate, and it's more often that the team does not cave. The most recent one, obviously, that we could talk about is Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. And he ended up, they just got in a room and they worked it out. And they said, hey, look, we're a really good team. We could really win. So just stay. And it worked out. So maybe Kevin Durant comes to his senses also. Maybe they get in a room and they say, hey, just stay. Another thing, and this will be a good transition to baseball. I talked about uh, on the show with Bruce Cunningham about how much Orioles baseball might mean in Israel right now because of Dean Kramer. One guy I blanked on his name when I was talking about the Israel national team, a coworker of mine, Cody Decker, who hosts a podcast for us on Odyssey. You might hear him often. He's good friends with Craig Carton, so he's often on WFAN. So I apologize, Cody. I blanked on your name. I said Ian Kinsler instead because I couldn't think of your name in the moment. But Cody, I got you. I know what you mean to Jewish sports and really representing Israel uh, when it comes to national, rec- nationally recognized professional athletes. So uh, good job, Cody Decker. Speaking of baseball, so Jameson Dion is a guy who is just so easy to root for, and he started for the Yankees tonight in Pittsburgh. The Yankees lost their second consecutive game, something they haven't done often this season. He's a guy who's so easy to root for. We know everything he's been through in Pittsburgh. He obviously comes up with them. He survives cancer with them, has two Tommy John surgeries, and comes back, ultimately was traded to the Yankees. But you could see the way he was looking around and taking it all in. It's awesome when you see professional athletes who appreciate where they are and appreciate what's going on around them and can take a moment to take a step back and breathe. I love that. So good on JMO. He's a guy who's easy to root for. Another guy who's easy to root for on the Yankees is Joey Gallo. I saw a video today of fans waiting for him outside the hotel in Pittsburgh, not to heckle him, but to ask him for autographs. It might've been the same fans to heckle him behind screens on social media, but those guys, he, he waits, he talks with the fans. He takes pictures. He's a guy, like I said, is so easy to root for. But it's so hard to want him out there anymore. I want him to do well. I want him to get traded and go elsewhere and do well. I think Miguel Andujar, though, has proven. And he's had a doubleheader against Cleveland, right? So Miguel Andujar has proven that he needs to be on this team. I don't know how many more times I need to talk about it. His play in left field is good enough. You could put Aaron Hicks in left field for late game situations when you need defense. Andujar is a doubles machine. He's been that from the moment he's shown up. And it's just about time. They just need to get him out there and at least see what they have. Do it till the trade deadline. If at that point you want to make a decision and go for Ian Happ, who I really want from the Cubs, a switch hitter, good outfielder, high on base, high slugging percentage, high OPS, or Andrew Benintendi, who is your prototypical left-handed leadoff hitter who has playoff experience with the Red Sox in 2018, is over a 300 hitter, which is rare in baseball, has speed, has great fielding ability, could probably play in center in a pinch also. If Aaron Judge needs a day off his feet and you don't feel like putting Aaron Hicks out there. So until you trade for one of those guys, which I think is huge that they will hopefully trade for one of those guys, they need to go get Andujar. By the way, Hicks stinks again. So I just mentioned Aaron Hicks. He struck out twice in two big spots in the game. So great. Aaron Judge is finally struggling. So if you want to point at the contract, I talked about how how to keep him motivated. Everyone goes through lulls in a baseball season. It's just natural. So hopefully he'll be coming out of it. He hit into a double play. I kind of joked that Hal Steinbrenner's kind of rooting like, oh, nice. He hit into a double play. The AL East has four teams, though. The Yankees are 12 games up in the East still, so it doesn't really matter. But the AL East has four teams that are over 500. And all that said, the Yankees are competing the way they've competing. They're having a historic season, even with their division being so good. And the Orioles. I get to watch them every day because they're the local team and I have to pay attention to them for work. So shout out to the Orioles. They have a better record than the LA Angels. The LA Angels lost again tonight. The Orioles officially have a better record than them. The LA Angels who have the best player in baseball in Mike Trout and maybe the best player or second best player in baseball in Shohei Otani, the two-way player. And they have a worse record than the Orioles through 82 games of the season. Think about that for a second. And how terribly mismanaged. Oh, and by the way, it's not like they're not spending money elsewhere. I think they have a $130 million payroll to the Orioles, what, $35 million payroll? Not a great look for the Angels. I told you baseball has problems and they need to be fixed. Teams not trying to win is one of them. The Angels are trying to win. They just can't do it. All right, that's going to do it for me. I got to go because I got work. (laughs) 
I'm in the studio. The Oriole game ended, so I got to start cutting up interviews and get to the rest of that stuff. But this was fun. Uh, thanks for listening, as always. And, of course, I appreciate everything that happened this week. So, again, shout out to the program directors here and everyone who lets me be a part of this and do what I do. I really appreciate it. Until next time, see you guys. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high. When you take me to your eyes, like I'm standing in the sky. I see your subway cars and your old graffiti. I breathe your air when I land in another city. I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones. I know Everywhere I go oh, oh, I ain't change it oh, 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 Always on my Birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be that one that's got you Printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go Oh, 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 I change it Oh, 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 always on my I was godsend. I used to hit them courts yard and prospect. Take them long walks on my time spent. Just a kid with that empire, stay the mindset. Kick flipping off a blind deck. Dipping from the New York City's finest. Yeah, said I've been up on my New York shit. Walking down the block with my New York bitch. I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it. Even if I do, though, I can never hide it. Top down on the west side when I'm driving. East side be the only side that I'm riding. I'm still here.